That's Stephen Gerrard, who has just won the Scottish Premiership with Rangers, Glasgow Rangers, and Mauricio Pochettino, whose Paris Saint-Germain side has just knocked Barcelona out of the UEFA Champions League. And yet they both uh, had to beat AFC Wimbledon themselves. (laughs) So... So yes, the, I mean, yes, the, the contrast between where we were before um, Milton Keynes' decision, where we started, and, and the early parts of the book talk in some graphic detail about the types of grounds we went to. I'm not, I'm not um, belittling them, but, you know, this is a completely different world for us. So we went from there, and gradually we've come up, and um, we end up back playing. I remember when we got the conference, I remember thinking, blimey, we're in a big boys league now, because there were... 13, if you include us, former league teams in the conference. And another three, didn't know at the time, who went on to be in the league. It's an unbelievable um, division. It was incredibly tough. And what um, Terry did, gambling on a young team, playing attractive open football, was extraordinary, quite extraordinary. A brilliant achievement. And, that... and he finally got into the Football League, which he'd failed a couple of times with Aldershot and... Um, he deserved, he deserved everything, all the credit that went his way. Well, Terry is chronicled. Good, I mean, he's a good manager and he's a lovely man. And I hope to learn about him because I don't know much about that period of AFC Wimbledon's history. I was in a foreign country myself. I was studying up in Scotland where the, the story was hearts being driven into a ground by various Lithuanian owners and Celtic just romping away with league after league. And then what was going on with Rangers was beneath contempt. Um, and then Neil Ardley, whom I did know about, because I'm sure I'd seen Neil Ardley actually play for Wimbledon in the late 90s, because I used to go and watch Tottenham at the lane, and I'm sure I saw Neil Ardley play for Wimbledon. He must have done, uh, uh, unless he was injured, but he was uh, one of those blokes who always managed to get himself on the pitch, even if he was carrying an injury. And so he took over um, when the Terry Brown project could go no further. And was he hired because he knew the division, he knew the Football League, and if so... No, not who... at all. Oh? At all. Oh, so he was just... He a, it was like a Frank Lampard, Ole Solskjaer appointment. He was uh, clearly the best candidate. Uh, let's just step back a little bit. We, we, we had a panel. We wanted somebody with some um, football background, so Dave Bassett was on the recruitment panel. Because he was great. You know, you'd, you'd have a name come up as someone who was thinking of applying, and he'd say, well... You just need to know that guy doesn't spend much time at the training ground. Is that the sort of manager you want? He didn't say don't have him. He just say this is how he is. Is that what you want? And you know, those are things we couldn't know. And we also had a sports psychologist um, guy called Stephen Sylvester, who I don't know if he still is, but certainly last year he was a sports psychologist for the West Indian cricket team. Mm. Had been for a few years. Um, a former cricketer who. Uh, I think in his own words, didn't quite make it at the top level, although he did play some first-class county games. So, um, uh, anyway, um, so that was our recruitment panel, and um, we were pretty clear Neil was the best candidate. Uh, but the downside was his previous role had been at um, uh, Cardiff Academy, where he'd been there for four or five or six years. He'd been there quite a while, seeing people like... Um, I've forgotten his first name, Ramsey, come through. Is yeah, it Aaron yeah, Ramsey? Yeah. yeah, Aaron Ramsey, yeah. Yeah. who played last and night. He said, Gordon, he said Gordon Ramsey, that wouldn't <laughs> be quite right, would it? And so, uh, you know, we knew we were taking a risk, and uh, he had with him Neil Cox, who they played together at Watford. The great Neil Cox, yeah. And what we did was we said, 
you know, we said, you know, you've got a weakness here. You, you don't really know the league and the players. So um, we proposed that Simon Bassey should stay on because he knows the league and the players inside out. And they slashed their hands off. Oh, yes, please. Yes, please. And you know, Simon was invaluable to them because uh, there's not much you could teach them about tactics, about man management, all that sort of stuff. But what they didn't know was uh, player A, he was a good player. B, what was his personal background? Simon always knows what's been going on off the pitch as well as on. So they became a team of three, and they're very much a team of three. And Neil, just to be clear, Neil was not appointed out of sentiment because he's ex-Wimbledon. He was the best candidate. Oh, I don't doubt that. Yeah, you you wouldn't. No, but I mean, I I keep getting that from people. Oh, you appointed um, Neil, you appointed Wally, you appointed Glyn, all that sort of stuff. Well, it just makes your life easier if you don't have to patiently explain that in 1988, a team um, of misfits and what was it, um, industrious professionals um, who have been called the crazy gang by John Motts. It's the title of a book that Dave Bassett wrote uh, that is in the Football Library alongside your book All Together Now, which is published in May. But uh, we are speaking on the 11th of March. I just wanted to know, before we talk about a bit further, uh, the last five years of AFC Wimbledon, if you had to pick a goalkeeper to play at Wembley, if Wimbledon were to contest a cup match or a playoff final, would you pick Kelly Roos or Jim Montgomery 1973 edition? (laughs) And you can only Um, pick one. Even... Top football managers say that judging a goalkeeper is something they need a specialist to help them with. And so here's a, an amateur, um, non-football person being asked to judge. I do think Jim Montgomery made the best ever save at a Wembley final. It wasn't a penalty. Due credit to Dave Peasant. But he made the best save that I've seen. Well, no, the best save at a Wembley Cup final. But uh, And Keller Roos... Well, let's put it like this. If that game was going on today, Jim would be about 78. So I think you'd have to choose Keller. Well, that, I thought reflexes would still be lithe. He is from the northeast. <laughs> they might be, but I think, I think uh, I'm going to dodge that question. Jim's too old now. It has to be Keller. Successfully dodged. Uh, I asked that because you were at that game when little old Sunderland of the second tier beat the mighty Leeds United thanks to this double save that still, even in black and white, is breathtaking. From Jim, and he will oh, never have to buy a drink in, in the northeast again. I don't know, man. It is in colour. I think I've, I've only seen it in black and white for some reason. Anyway, I'll I, have I a look properly. But you... I used to have the uh, actually, it shows how long ago it is. I used to have the video. I, I'm sure it's been digitised by now. But um, you're you're from the northeast, as you can tell by the accent. the The first game you went to uh, conditioned you for football because it was against the great Newcastle United side. Uh, and it, You've been reading, haven't you? It, um, it was, but I, was, I think I was 10. And 10 then is a lot different from 10 now. I went with my brothers and my father and we had seats two at each end of the main stand. I didn't understand the significance of um, playing, let alone losing to Newcastle. And we got Sunderland, we got thumped 6-1 at home, which is not... Then I started going, I think I was about 13, I started going uh, on my own. It's a different world then. I I won't bore you too much, but I'd never be allowed now. My father built a wooden collapsible stool, which I I carried into the ground and erected just in front of a crush barrier so nobody could knock me off. And I I had another nine inches to my height, so I could see. There's no way 
would be allowed to do that nowadays. Well, it's a very sensible thing to do, but no, absolutely not. And I don't think at King's Meadow or at Plough Lane you'd be allowed that, especially because uh, it's all-seater. And you have experience of <laughs> building an all-seater stadium, I suppose, because Ivor Heller, who's getting a lot of name checks here, and indeed it's him that uh, sent me on to you, um, he said that your legacy will be Plough Lane. Now, unfortunately, no one was able to enter Plough Lane and a crowd still hasn't seen a match at Plough Lane. Uh, when are you hopeful that you'll be able to go and get some pats on the back from various fans? Well, there's, there's two or three parts to that. I did actually go to the first game. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't meant to go. That was some... Um, because long before that, my wife and I had arranged to go away um, <clears throat> to celebrate a big birthday of hers. And um, we couldn't have a party, so I thought, all right, we'll go we'll have a, a few days away together. And the lockdown killed that, so I was back in London. And Ivor, who was very thoughtful, rang me up and said, are you sure you can't come? I said, oh, well, actually, perhaps I can. So I went to that game, and... Um, you're right. I mean, it, it's it's a weird experience watching, and and um, decided I'm not going to go again until there's fans in there, because it's not. It's just not. I can't think of the right word. It's just not. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. You can't play football in a sanitised stadium. It's not power league. It's absolutely not something that I am capable of enjoying. I can understand lots of people would love to go and experience it, um, but for me, it was. Um, Chanting being broadcast over the tannoys, I thought, oh no, this is not this is not me. I can understand, you know, Ivor Ivor has, other than when he was um, not allowed to, I think has not missed a game, and that's him. I'm different. I I have to be immersed in the atmosphere, and there is no atmosphere, so I will only go again once it's full. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to going. Um, it it can be any game. Um, unfortunately for you, or fortunately for you. Uh, Sunderland managed to continue their super comeback into being a creditable football club when Charlie Wyke turned up and scored three goals in January at Plough Lane. Although I don't know if that was Glyn Hodge's last game or whether he'd gone by then. No, his last game was against... Uh, we, we can't mention them. No. I've, I've, reversed, I've reversed the team you just said. <laughs> the last thing I want is any pats on the back or any... Uh, when I... When I retired from the board I, um, I wrote a list of, um, of uh, requests you could call them demands but requests in return for my 17 years of service and the main one and the last one was no fuss uh, which they have honoured and, and I don't mean that with any sense of irony I asked them to make no fuss at all and they've made no fuss and I'm really grateful about that it's not what I did it for, and I well, it's very nice that people want to thank me, and, and Eileen often tells me off for not understanding that I should let them. Um, it's not, it's not what I ask. It makes me uncomfortable. Well, you can't stop them. People know who you are. You're the man who helped I'll, raise. Uh, I'll keep a low profile. I'll perhaps I'll wear a moustache. And... Yeah, please do. It costs seven and a half million pounds to build a stadium. You also yeah. needed approval from yeah, the council. No, it costs a lot more than that. It costs about thirty million. I don't know the exact figure, but three zero. Gosh, I only read seven and a half. And did it come? Seven and a half. What we sold King's Meadow for? Ah, right. So now um, Plough Lane has opened. It's been open a few months. Um, 
the goal was to make it a community hub. When things are, etc., what sort of events and activities will go on at Plough Lane? Can I, can I just put into context that um, when I left in April 2019, um, I'm trying to remember where we'd got to. I think that the um, Greyhound Stadium was demolished or being demolished. I think it probably was fully demolished. And yes, and I think they were starting to, I'm sure there's a technical term for this, but starting to flatten the ground ready, uh, prepare the ground. Yes, lay the foundations. Yeah. Well, I mean, just actually, one of the photos in my book is of a very flat surface that clearly just um, done whatever you do to Oh, steamroll it. What I said to the club, which was said in, in, in exactly this spirit, was um, if, you, if there's anything you think you need from me, I will not hesitate to help but I'm not coming back and going to lean over your shoulders and tell you you should be doing this, you should be doing that, or advice. So I've scarcely been there, and I've not been involved in the development of the stadium. Now, Joe, Joe Palmer was recruited um, to be my successor, provided he satisfied the Dunstress board, which he did. And his main role was to introduce a new level of um, marketing expertise, I think, among other things, but something that he had that I certainly didn't have, and to have a look at the stadium and think about how best to re, uh, realign it to make it more commercially viable. So I don't know any more about what's inside that stadium than anybody who's read the club's website. I, I don't ring up and ask. And um, as I said, I ask for no fuss, so they don't, you know, they, I pick up bits of gossip probably more than the average fan, but not much. I do know that there's some, um, just going through the grant process, awarding process, to build a five-a-side pitch there, which will be mainly in the daytime used for community purposes, or schools and, and local people, um, and run by the club's charity, the Oaks of Golden Foundation. Uh, I also know that inside it there's a, I don't know what expression to use, but a conference hall, a banqueting hall that will seat 500 for a sit-down meal. I believe there's going to be a pub there, but that's certainly an innovation since I last saw the design, but I read somewhere that there's going to be a pub. I will email Ivor and see what he has to say, although I'm sure if I read the Probably local I press... No, when I, when I went to that game, because the club, because it was still, I don't know, a couple of months before it was all finished off, all I did was walk down this rather muddy pavement, get let in through a side door, walk up a flight of stairs, walk out and watch the pitch, watch the game and come back again. And no, fuss. no fuss. I, I don't know why that. your book isn't called No Fuss. Well, it was not only that. I mean, it was the same for everybody because the rest of the ground wasn't ready. Yeah, I noticed that. that there were journalists covering the game and some of the seats were not fitted in in one of the stands. Well, it, it's, it's ironic. Um, there are very positive things that have come out of the pandemic, but it's ironic that we were able to play games at Plough Lane before we would have been otherwise able to do if we'd, if we'd been allowed to let fans in mm-hmm. because we weren't licensed. So actually, because we weren't allowed to have fans in, we were able to start there a couple of months earlier than we otherwise would have done. And I'm sure from having to, presumably, and I don't know, presumably pay a chunk of money to QPR every time we, we um, visited there. Times is different now. And uh, there were fans at the League Two playoff final, which I did watch on television. I was as open-mouthed as anyone, but not surprised when Bioakin Fenwa came on and more or less snatched the ball out of, I can't remember whose hands it was, Barry Fuller's or someone's, and converted the penalty that 
uh, helped. Somebody had a had a shirt on, a t-shirt on underneath, which had um, some message. Mm. Yes. Remembering his father who died recently, and he was very keen to to score that goal. He'd been agreed he would take the penalty. I'm told, and um, Bayo decided he was going to take it. Have you? Um, was Bayo one of the interviewees, or have you read his memoir, The Beast, for his contribution? I haven't uh, interviewed him because. By and large, this is not entirely true, but by and large, I've mainly interviewed players who are no longer playing. That's not completely true, um, but mainly. I did think about it, but uh, I got to the list of, I think it's 79 interviews, and thought, it just, this is getting out of hand. Um, so, I, so I decided not to. He was, he was on the uh, I'd like to list, but the other the other potential problem with that is interviewing of someone who's a player with another club. Um, that's, you know, the same reason with Lyle Taylor. Uh, he would have been a good person. That was my next question. Lyle has been in the news and I heard him on the radio just the other week. He's a very knowledgeable chap and doing wonderful things both on and off the pitch at Charlton. Is it Charlton? No, he's at Notts Forest now. Notts Forest with, with Chrissy Hewton. That's going to be... Very clever man. Uh, very thoughtful and... Um, has opinions. Oh, is he famously he, left Charlton because he had opinions, and now he's... Left Charlton because he got, um, well, the, the football gossip is, I don't know, his contract was finished. Yes, correct, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you finish a contract and you're known goal scorer, somebody somewhere will come and pay you more. Mm-hmm. Probably, all speculation, pay you a signing on fee. Um, so I'm guessing that's why he went to Forest, but yes. I, I, don't, I don't know. And I, I guess that Wimbledon didn't particularly want him because Shayon Harrison has the number nine shirt now. This is Harrison who was ex-Tottenham. He's, he's certainly played up up a level. Well, I think your timing's a bit out there because um, Wimbledon did want uh, Lyle to stay, talked to his agent at some length who made it very clear that Lyle wanted to move and um, he went to Charlton and then they won promotion, didn't they? Yes, they did. Yeah, he, he helped. Yeah. Um, and you know he got he got a much better deal from Charlton than we could ever have afforded. We offered him the best deal we'd ever offered anybody. Or we talked to his agent about it, and the answer was he wants to move on. So, um, but you know since then we've had various other players. I don't know who else has worn the number nine shirt because I don't keep that sort of record. Well, I'm I'm telling you, it's it's Mr. Harrison. The current captain is Will Nightingale, and the vice captain is Joe Piggott. I know you know Joe Piggott. He's been there a while. He's thirty nine. I know. I mean. If the number nine shirt has been unoccupied for a while, then, then so be it. I'm not familiar with Cheyenne, although is he the lad they signed from Kingstonian? They signed who was, I thought, ex-Palace, not Spurs. Oh, no, I think in my head it's Spurs, but I will uh, well, look it up. He came through at Spurs. He was signed from Almere City. Ah, uh, in that case, I In Holland. I, oh, he has, albeit he has only signed last month, so that is, that's quite uh, novel. But, yeah, North think, London lad. And uh, Shayon Harrison may well be in the goals tomorrow if he plays uh, against Accrington as you listen to this. Uh, we're recording this uh, in the middle of March, which is still two months before your book comes out, which is why you're looking at photos and plates, the plates in the middle of your book altogether now. Will you launch the book with the club? I, um, I know you don't want fuss, but come on. As, as I think I said to you earlier on, I don't really know what the process is with the book. I've spoken to Pitch Publishing, who are the ones who are producing it, and they are going to speak to the club. Uh, they, have a, they have a 
would you be surprised to hear they have a, stand, they have a template for a marketing plan, which I'm sure they're just to the particular circumstances. They're going to speak directly to the club. But now I had hoped that we'd be playing there again by the end of the season. Sorry, sorry. Mm-hmm. We'd be, that fans would be allowed, but that isn't going to happen as far as I can see. So, I mean, I don't know how you do launch it with the club when you're not physically there. Well, what, what usually happens is that they set up a Zoom room and then people can pile in and someone, I don't know, Adam Leventel or someone, chats to you and then opens the floor to questions. So it's a digital version of a, a physical book launch. So there is a way to do it and you don't even have to leave your house. Well, all, all I can say is um, I've been so focused on the book that I've not really given that much thought and I know that Pitch will organise something uh, and I'm in their hands. But um, as, long as, it's, um, as long as it's something they think is the right thing to do, then I'll, then I'll, you know, I'll be happy to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the final question is, because we're talking about Wimbledon, you are helping me to read the 92. I'm trying to speak to uh, a fan or someone involved in writing about every club. So, uh, and albeit in the, for Wimbledon fans, I did have to speak to someone from Nat Nat Nat, but I'm not including them in the 92. I've included Harchester, uh, not Harchester, Melchester Rovers are my 92nd team. Well, well, Roy Race? Yeah. Good Lord. I spoke um, to Barry Tomlinson, who had the executive control of Roy Race. He was Roy's agent uh, back in the Tiger magazine days. I thought Roy was um, crippled in a helicopter crash or something like that. You can't get rid of him that easily. Uh, I think his son may be back. There's a Roy uh, Jr. Melchester Rovers are still going, and I've included them in the 92. But we've, we've ticked off a lot of players. Is there one player in particular whom you hold dear because of something that happened at Wembley or at Cherry Red Stadium? For a combination of reasons. All the players I spoke to um, when I um, was researching this book were absolutely great. But I particularly uh, enjoyed talking to Matt Everard, our centre-half in the first... I think he joined us towards the end of our first season, recruited via the Weird and Wonderful World chat site. I remember right because um, he used to go on there and the fans made him give him their number so they could tell the manager about him uh, wow. he <laughs> scored something like you'd have to look it up there is a there is an AFC Wimbledon heritage site basically the old website how do you spell the surname? Everard E-V-E-R-A-R-D and he uh, he scored something like um, well I'm going to look this up while we're talking well they've said scored more goals than you'd expect from a striker he managed in the t- in total 28 league goals. Oh, yeah. I, I thought it was more than that, to be honest. Uh, uh, with a, with a 30... Well, in, and in the cup, he scored nine. So that's 37 goals. in. Uh, 30, that's crazy. Uh, let me look him up. That's Come outrageous. On. 37 goals in 88 appearances. Uh, and this is from wimbledonheritage.co.uk. As he joined us, um, his first game, I think his first game, we lost at home to the mighty Withered in 2000. And his last game was uh, somewhere, up, I think it might have been Bashley, where he got a, effectively a career-ending injury. Oh, and in between those games, we never lost a league game, all the ones he played. What I particularly like about him, though, is that even then, years later, he, um, he comes and stands on the terrace. When we went to Manchester, 
I invited, I thought we ought to recognise the old players, so I invited the player of the season from every season. Eight of them, because the ninth one was playing. And this was the final of, the player final of which tournament? Season? Uh, the, um, when we got promoted in the Football League. So, you know, we, we I invited, um, Lee Sidwell was the player of the year in the first year, and I've forgotten who the other ones were, but Matt was one of them, probably the second year. And he said, no, I'd rather go with his mates and the fans. And I thought, well, that's what a good guy. I really like him. And, and I think the other man who's very grounded and who I like immensely is John Main. Not only because he scored all those goals, but um, I, I asked him in the book, I asked him how it felt to see to be at um, Manchester, watching the team win into the Football League and not even be in the squad. And he was extraordinarily generous about it. Not a hint of regret or bitterness or anything. It was just, this is great, is what I wanted to see. And I thought, what a, what a decent man. Mm. Uh, very funny and uh, uh, lots of stories about him, some of which I'm telling in the book. But um, they're two really interesting and very likeable people who gave an awful lot to the club through the... Well, <laughs> and Matt scored almost as many goals as John, who was a striker. That's a, no, that's a, for a centre-back, I think maybe like Sutton or Dion Dublin can match that. I would love to ask about Glenn Mulcair, but I'm sure that that's in the book altogether now, which comes out early May. Not much about Glenn, because um, his story was away from the club. He scored our first goal. Um, I think he's in a couple of the photos. Uh, I think he played our first game because Joe Sheeran, although he was named, didn't start. The captain was named, didn't start, so Glenn started the game. But um, no, I haven't gone on about Glenn a lot, because... What he's more famous for, as some listeners will know, the um, News of the World hacking scandal and all mm-hmm. of that, is nothing to do with us, really. Um, no, just... I don't, I don't avoid the fact that, that he's well known for that, but that's about all I say about it. Again, when I was finding out about the phone hacking towards 2011, to have AFC Wimbledon's name in the story was perverse, but at non-league level... Uh, these things happen. The weird, wonderful world of non-league. I'm more fascinated to learn about everything before 2011 than the okay. last decade. But... Now, all the things Glenn did were before he joined us, to the best of my knowledge. He right. wasn't doing it while he was playing for us. Yes, yeah, that's right. There's nothing. Only the name connects them, not any of the activities. But as AFC Wimbledon looked to secure their place in the third tier, step three of English football, League One as we know it, Eric Samuelson will be cheering uh, either from the stadium or from home. Are, are you watching this season on the iFollow or are you just listening to the radio or following the results when I they come in? I don't think I've missed a game. Oh, mm. good. Apart from that one, the very first game at Plough Lane, I haven't actually left, left our house to do it. Oh, I've got, of course, because of obvious reasons. But you will be watching the game from... Is it the Wham Stadium? Is that where Accrington play? It was last time I went there. I assume it's not changed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, the nicest game in football, Accrington Stanley against AFC Wimbledon. I hope for a five-all draw for the, <laughs> which is what I always say when two teams I like are playing one another. Uh, my team are edging towards uh, Premier League status. An, an incredible season for Watford. Sack a manager, bring in someone who can't manage in the Premier League because of certification, and as we speak, Watford a second, which is outrageous. But the story of AFC Wimbledon. Uh, it's told in All Together Now, which comes out on the 3rd of May. And uh, what, what are you doing over Easter? Are you going to get to um, see family 
or are you just sheltering in place? No, we. Are, I mean, this is this is terribly boring, but um, we are selling our holiday home, and we, if if it all goes through as expected, we'll be up in the Lake District, um, packing up for to take out the furniture we want to keep and to send to the tip the stuff that we don't want to keep. So that's uh, that's our idea of a holiday over Easter. I'm afraid. We of course, a, of uh, course, you will give first dibs to Mark and Nicola Palios for any. Well, any furniture they might want. Well, I can't imagine they don't anything from us. And this is our holiday home, remember, which we used to let. So it's not exactly our best furniture. Ah, well, bugger that I can't take up any offer if if you were giving the opportunity for people to let it out because the lakes are glamorous. Oh, it's spectacular, but it's a six-hour journey for us. And, yeah, that's and right. And and we, what? If, why would you go there when you've got Plough Lane on your doorstep? Well, that's not quite the same. Um, there's no mountains there, or uh, unless the Wandle floods, there's no... Yes, <laughs> it's very um, hilly. You know, it's just a bit too far now. Mm-hmm. We've we, our house up there for 22 years, and it was just time to say, OK, let's mm-hmm. move on. But this is the story of AFC Wimbledon, told from the man who was there. Up the Wandle, and uh, all the best for the coming year. Thank you very much. Um, it's been interesting, it's been fun. Thank you for your time. Thank you, and of course you do get your football library membership card with Brian Glanville shushing you on the card so if you want to come on by you're more than welcome Brian Glanville gosh yes okay <laughs> thank you just like the library just like the library just like the library